Burke's on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK from Tamastin and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. Welcome to the Run TMC podcast. That is the Run the Marin County podcast, a podcast about basketball in Marin County. I'm Duffy Ballard, and with me is my friend, Dave Levine. And this is the section in the podcast where we go into some dauntless banter. We're going to banter with... It's not going to be torpid. Not torpid, correct? That's right. There might be alacrity, but there's not going to be torpidity. There Sorry, will, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, great. So happy to hear that. We're not going to talk about NCS playoffs. We're going to come back to that, but hopefully the listeners have been enjoying those very specific updates. We do want to make mention, however, correspondent Chase Hatch, who went off script a little bit, in our last episode and gave us his take on the NBA All-Star game. And Dave, I think it's fair to say that you and I agree that it was pretty much unwatchable. So I I turned it on for, I think, 135 seconds. How many points did you? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, I, th- I think I saw five threes. I saw no defensive stances and I turned it off. And went back to the never-ending procession of office episodes that my kids watch. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was sad. And I I remember Duff. You remember Hoop Dreams? Remember that movie? Great oh, movie. Yeah, very good movie. Yeah. And in the beginning of Hoop Dreams, they're they're watching. You know, they're in the, in the projects in Chicago, and they're huddled around the TV, and they're watching the All Star Game, right? And they're watching MJ. And like the All Star Game was a real event when we were kids, and the NBA players in the game took it seriously and it was a chance for them to really compete against the best. And now it's just this, there's no effort. There's no fundamentals. There's no basketball being played. And it's, it's a bummer. Chase said it well, I thought. He did. He did. I have to admit, I did not watch a single second of it, Dave, but I did look at the box score afterwards and it looked to me like it was a battle between Carl Anthony Towns trying to score as many uncontested two-pointers as he could versus the entire East team shooting warm-up three-pointers. Yeah, so I will say, and I know Duff, we're going we're gonna to do a quick interlude here into our NBA predictions that you so boldly made a couple months ago. One positive aspect of the weekend, the All-Star weekend, was the Steph-Sabrina-Ionescu shooting competition, which was awesome because Sabrina, the lone representative for the WNBA, had tons of pressure on her and she stepped up and did a great job, hit a bunch of shots. And then Steph being Steph, just classy and a great ambassador of the game beat her, but in a, in a, like, I think it was 29, 26 or something, but it was great energy. And I, I think going forward, if the NBA is smart, they will incorporate WNBA players into all-star weekend. They should, uh, the WNBA is a great product right now and getting better and better as the college game has a bunch of really good stars who are going to be coming into the league. So I think the NBA needs to do something. And I think bringing in a WNBA players in all-star weekend would be a good move. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I think, you know, it 
it was a battle of the sexes and Steph was not afraid to, to lose and he very well could have lost that shootout. And uh, so that, yeah, that, w- that was a very a somewhat risky thing to do for Steph and for, for both of them, honestly. And they both, uh, they both came out of it looking great. So they, they both had, they both had a lot to lose. So if she shows up and she goes two for 20, oh, well, the WNBA is not that good, right? Like she's, she's representing an entire league, an entire sex, ba- basically, uh, you know, everything on her shoulders. And then Steph, you're absolutely right. Like if Steph loses, he wouldn't hear the end of it. Right. So I thought they both were very courageous to take on this challenge and they both stepped up and delivered like they always do because they're both just studs. So I thought it was super cool. Maybe next year they do it. They switch the size of the ball. So Sabrina shoots with the men's ball and Steph shoots with a women's ball. That would be a nice little change up. You yeah. should be in marketing, Duff. <laughs> All right. Let's get into, Dave, let's review our very bold predictions from one of our very early episodes. I think it might have been episode four, maybe it was episode three. I know KK called me out afterwards because, Dave, I had a couple predictions, as did you. One of them was that Wemby would not win Rookie of the Year. So I just looked right now. He is still one of the top two. However, if you follow... What is this here? Where are we? Okay, we are on FanDuel. No, no, no. Dave, I am on sportsbettingdime.com. Not a sponsor. But if you look at this, the current favorite is Chet Holmgren. And he and Victor Wemanaya have been essentially at the same odds for quite a long time here during the season with uh, Brandon Miller, Scott Henderson, Scoot. Scoot. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty far behind. So anyway, we'll see. Wemby so I think, out. well, well Holmgren, Holmgren's had a, had a great year and he and Wemby are, are similar kind of players, right? Just the modern, these seven footers who can handle and shoot threes and shoot step backs. But, you know, one angle there is Oklahoma City is the, good. I think they're the two seed in the West. They're really good. They're, you know, 37 and 17. Mm-hmm. And the Spurs are way at the bottom. The Spurs are 11 and 44. So I know rookie of the year is more a purely personal award, but I think the team's performance probably informs some of the perspective on that, right? Yeah. Although, Dave, I will say now going to FanDuel, Wemby is the favorite slightly over Holmgren. So I guess, yeah, I guess it depends where you want to bet. And we're not condoning and we're not taking any wagers. So, all right. And then uh, MVP, Dave, I don't know if you weighed in on this early in season. Jokic, but Porzingis right behind him. So Jokic looking good with the Embiid injury. Jokic appears to be the favorite. Porzingis has had a good year for the top team in basketball, but... He doesn't appear to be a present. And you know what? Honestly, Dave, I was kind of joking around a little bit with that one. You also claimed that PJ Tucker would play an entire season without scoring a basket, right? I did. And yeah, he was off to a good start. I think he played 26 minutes and didn't score in his first game. He has ended up playing, Dave, three games so far this year. 
and scored six points. Wow, you were you were pretty close. <laughs> we'll see. Well, well, except except for the games played part. Uh, your other prediction, Duff, was Chris Paul related. Yes, prediction was that he would not end the season with the Warriors either because of injury or trade. And we'll see. Yeah, it looks like he's coming back though, and he has been very good when he's been on the floor for the Warriors. And actually, their defensive rating has been excellent with him on the floor. And that beginning of the year, that second unit just looked great. So I do look forward if he comes back in and the second unit has him and Clay Thompson and Saric. Yeah, that that could be fun to watch. They could get back into a situation and Looney on the second unit as well. Warriors are a strange team this year. A lot of ups and downs. They look great for a couple of weeks and they look terrible. And then they come back and look great again. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they they ended up. Right now, they're barely in the playoffs as of today. I think they're the the ten seed in the West with about let's see what about thirty games left. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'd say for a team with a bunch of champions on it, they're awfully good at giving away games at the very end. Yeah, they've lost a bunch of really tough <laughs> close games. You're right. You would you would expect them to win those games. Right. Or not actively lose them. I mean, they have actively lost right. some of those games, not yeah. not been beaten. Yeah. I am going to predict that the Warriors do make the playoffs. And Dave, I think it's gonna be this is not gonna be a huge surprise prediction. I think it's gonna be Celtics and Denver in the finals. I am pretty sure that Philadelphia and Milwaukee will not be in the finals. But I wouldn't rule out Miami making a run. Never know with them. Okay, last last prediction, and then we'll move on from the NBA. As of today, the Detroit Pistons are 8-46. and 46. Mm-hmm. Your Washington Wizards, with your friend <laughs> Jordan Poole, 9-45. Yeah. and 45. Duffy, at the end of the year, which team will have more wins? Pool party. Dave, I think I'm going to bet on Jordan Poole throwing himself a pool party and getting as many shots up as he possibly can. So that is going to be just enough to have the Detroit Pistons grab a couple more wins and edge wow. the Wizards. Okay, you heard it here first. We'll, we'll check back in in June or May, whenever the NBA season ends. The NBA season is a, a baton death march. It's the longest thing ever. You're not cool. going to get a prediction there, Dave? Oh, I I am with you. I think the Pistons are going to eclipse the Wizards and not be the least winning team in the league. Yeah. But the Spurs could be the Spurs could surprise us as well. Yeah, the Spurs have 11 wins and then we have Charlotte has 13 wins, 13 and 41. And the poor old Portland Trailblazers, I guess the Damian Lillard trade not working out so well for our friends in the in the Rose not, City. Not in the short. Or Rip City, as they call it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. You might know that. but Rip City. Rest in, pl- rest in peace for... I don't, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe. All right, let's move on, Duff. Are we going to do glossary? Yeah, I think you've got one. You know, funny, Dave, I was out for a very slow jog right before uh, recording, and I was thinking to myself, time to bring back the glossary and i was like oh i've got a good one and then i come back and i look on our shared document here that you've been working on dutifully like mm-hmm. you always do i appreciate that 
And what do I see? I see the exact entry that I was going to go with. So we have one entry from the two of us, but you're going to explain. Great minds stuff. The term today is a hammer screen. And it's funny that you had the same idea. So a hammer screen is a weak side flare screen for a shooter, typically in the corner for a three. And it also involves a penetrator driving on the strong side under the uh, kind of to the basket and then going along the baseline and making a cross court pass along the baseline to that shooter who received a flare screen. So if you think of the Warriors, as we all know, the Warriors, let's let's picture Draymond getting the ball at the at the elbow on the right side. Draymond drives towards the basket. He ends up going under the basket and then kicking out a pass to the left corner to a wide open Steph Curry who received a flare screen from Looney for a three. That's a hammer screen. Now, Duffy, why do they call it a hammer screen? What what time is it, Dave? It's hammer it's time. Hammer screen. Stop. It's hammer time. I never know. Uh, is it monster time? Is it? I I don't know, and I'm about to learn why they call it a hammer screen. So I I was I was perplexed by this. Like, is it the shape of a hammer? No, I did, I couldn't figure it out. Did a little googling, Duff, and I love this. It is named after Darvin Ham. Oh. Current Lakers coach, longtime NBA journeyman. Now, if you think, those of you, I know we have a lot of basketball people listening to this. Darvin Ham, not a great three-point shooter when he played. He's setting the screen. He's setting the screen, isn't he? Actually, Duff, he's the guy who would penetrate and kick it to Ray Allen, Michael Red, Glenn Robinson. So it was, he... According to Darvin Ham, this play was developed by George Carl in a timeout when he was playing for the Bucks, and he had an idea of have Ham, who was you know physical, big guy, but he also also a good decision maker, have him penetrate and then set a flare for Ray in the corner, and he called it. They just started to call it hammer action, so it became known as a hammer screen. So, named after Darvin Ham, you're welcome. Yeah. So yeah, Dave, we ran this in our second NCS game for at a critical point in the game. I think we were up maybe one, just a couple, and we had the ball on a on a slob sideline out of bounds. And so we, we the way we ran it was to get the ball into the hands of our left-handed guard, Grady Stewart, and set a ball screen for him on the strong side and then have him go to his left to the baseline. And meanwhile, on the weak side, we're setting that hammer screen for mm-hmm. Owen Bugas, and yep. so now he's on the baseline with his left hand, and the screen's happening, and that Perfect. was open. Owen was the entire game, and he he drained that shot. So, yeah, good action. I think uh, you can run it again against the zone, too, especially a 3-2 zone, because if you're able to isolate, say, for example, that the, the bottom guy. Just one guy to screen. Yeah, yeah, and then so same, same action can ha- yep. work. Not quite as well against a two three, but definitely against the three two. Right. So, yeah. Right. Hammer screen. Good stuff. All right. Duffy, what time is it? Synergy time. We were so totally synergistic on that hammer screen. We were. But synergy we time it. over. And now it's sponsor time. Take us away, Dave. All right. We want to thank our sponsors, Karen Horsemeyer Real Estate. Love Karen. She just texted me the other day congratulating me on our San Domenico win. Love you, Karen, and support Karen Horsmeyer if you're buying or selling a home. Yes, please do. And we want to 
thank Jeff Skaggs and the San Domenico summer camps. If you're looking to send your kid to summer camp in a beautiful part of the world and in, in very sunny, sleepy hollow with some great coaching staff and just so much expertise at that camp, Dave. So take a look yep. at San Domenico Nike summer camps. And then medium, go to medium.com and you slash forward slash discount. And the code is all caps, no spaces, run TMC. You got 25% off your first year. Thank you, Medium. Thank you. Very cool online publishing platform. Really yeah. easy to use. Very nice graphics, nice interface. Nice, I think they call it UI, user interface. User interface, that's right. Mm-hmm. You have the hub, Duff. I have the hub, all right, yeah. So meal of the day from the hub. This one I get fairly often. I'd say it's my third or fourth go-to, and it is the steak dip. And Dave, you can get the steak dip or you can get the steak dip Philly style. So the steak dip is thinly sliced sirloin steak on a ciabatta roll with melted Gruyere cheese, caramelized onions, horseradish sauce, and au jus, au jus, the juice. I usually do not get the onions on this, although I do like caramel, caramelized onions in some circumstances, but not with a steak dip. And then Philly style is that you get all of that and then you get some sauteed red peppers and mushrooms. Very good. And I sometimes will go with a side of mac and cheese. Yesterday before our game, Dave, we had a little pregame meal the coaches did at the hub. And I didn't want to eat a whole lot. So I just got a side of mac and cheese. And, you know, just standard mac and cheese. But it was perfect. So Love the hub. All right, Dave. Let's get on to our intro to the intro to our interview, which was awesome. I think we feel uh, both feel very fortunate that we got to speak with these two gentlemen, one of whom is about to start or probably has started spring training with the Texas Rangers. So take us away, Dave. Yeah, we're we're honored to have had the chance to talk to our friends, Will Venable and Jet Russell. Both are proud San Rafael high grads from the late 90s, early 2000s. And this was a really fun conversation. Duff and I sat down with these guys via the web on Super Bowl Sunday, bright and early in the morning. Will was Will is an extremely busy guy. If you don't know, we, we talk about his background, but just real quick, he was a Major League Baseball player for almost 10 years. And the last couple of years has been a coach in Major League Baseball and is now the number two guy, sits alongside Bruce Bochy for the Texas Rangers who won the World Series last year. So Will's getting himself a World Series ring. But he was days away from leaving for spring training to get back in the swing with with baseball. So we had a really fun discussion with these guys. We talked a lot of San Rafael High history, talked about playing for Brett Tavani. Jet is himself a really good baseball player, played in college at a small school in, in Iowa after playing a college in Marin. Both are really good basketball players. So we talked about being multi-sport athletes, and Jet is currently the athletic director at Archie Williams. So he works with Duffy and is a just a, a great guy, really thoughtful. This was a really fun conversation that, as always, was too short, in my opinion. Yeah, Jet, you know, really high energy guy, just is great with the kids, gets our games set up, home games, everything goes really smoothly. It's been great getting to know him on campus. And yeah, Will, very gracious and 
smart guy. We, we definitely could have talked to these guys a lot longer. Will had a tight schedule, but we really appreciated him making the time that he did. And I do, we talked a little bit about Will's dad on the in the interview, but just to mention Max Venable, who I've never met, but I have this association and fondness for him mm -hmm. because the San Francisco Giants of the 1980s, early 80s era were the team I started to root for when I first became interested in baseball. That's how old I am, Dave. But Max Venable is an outfielder on that team. A very average team, but they were they were had a lot of character. They had by the blue, you know, lefty. They had the the count, John Montefusco, Montefusco, yes. Johnny Lamaster, the glove. You couldn't hit a lick, but man, that guy could field. Anyway, fun team, fun team to watch, and cool that uh, there's still that local flavor with the uh, with the Venable family. And uh, anyway. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I mean, I, we talk about this a lot in the interview, but Will played basketball at Princeton, which is incredibly impressive. Not only that he has a Princeton degree and that's one of the great institutions in the world, but uh, Princeton basketball, for those of you who know, is, is just an iconic program and always competitive, always beating much bigger, more athletic schools just because their system is so uh, refined and disciplined. And so the fact that he played really high level division one basketball at a place like Princeton, and then also went on to play major league baseball is a testament to not only his athletic ability, but his intelligence. And then by the way, his younger brother, Winston played football at Boise state, played in the NFL and the CFL. So very athletic family. I'm starting to feel a little bit jealous, Dave. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Green eyed monster. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get on to the interview. Will and Jet were great, and then we'll uh, we'll catch up after Duff. Hey, Dave, that sounds like a great plan. All right, we are rolling. Duff and I are very honored to have two legends of Centerfell High, Jet Russell and Will Venable. Hey, guys. Good good morning. Good morning. I don't know if I go as far as legend for myself, but Will certainly uh, ticks that box. But thank you for the honor. Don't be humble, Jet. So, guys, I will. Uh, I'll do your your backgrounds just to give our listeners some context. I think they probably know who you guys are, and then we'll dive right in. We got lots to talk about, and Will, in particular, is a very busy man. So, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, so we all have stuff to do today. But, Jet, let's start with you. So, you're a San Rafael High grad, class of 2000. You and Will played hoops together for three varsity seasons. Will's a year younger than you are. I'm sure he reminds you of that. In 2000, Jet was an all-MCAL honorable mention in basketball and first-team all-league in baseball. He then went on to College of Marin and played baseball for Steve Berenger, great guy, also a Centerfall Bulldog, if I believe, right? Jet, wasn't yes, Berenger was. Bulldog? Yeah, he is. Yes? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Jet then transferred to Mount Mercy University, an NAI school in Iowa where he played baseball. He earned all Midwest Classic Conference honors as a third baseman in 2005, and he's going to be inducted into the Novato Knicks Baseball Club Hall of Fame in April. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And he is currently the athletic director at Archie Williams. So he makes sure that, you know, the assistant coach for the men's basketball team, uh, Duffy Boward, stays in line. <laughs> so, Don't uh, worry, Duffy, we love this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Jed. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for, you know, keeping me honest. I appreciate it. Yeah, and sorry for having to ask you to do all the CPR stuff, even though you're a doctor. 
more <laughs> oh. trainings, please. I would like definitely you know, as many yeah. more trainings as we can, <laughs> you know, as we can fit under the hood. We, we got them if you want to. Sweet, sweet. All right. We also have Mr. Will Venable. Will, we've had people on this podcast say you are the greatest multi-sport athlete in Marin history. So that's, that's wow. relatively high praise. You're not, I don't think you can, you can argue that Will is the son of major league baseball star, Max Venable, who I grew up watching for the giants played for the giants, Expos, Reds and angels over a 12 year career. Will graduated from SR in 2001. He was second team San Francisco Bay area, all Metro basketball player as a sophomore and a junior. He was the MCAL MVP in basketball. Will, is that right? As a freshman, sophomore and junior. I don't know about my freshman. I don't think, I don't think my freshman year. I I really okay. I really recall. I I don't think I was in my freshman year though. No, okay. But you were you were MCAL MVP a couple times. I'm pretty sure. I think my junior year, I remember for sure. Outside of that, to be honest, I yeah, I don't know. Jed, do do you remember yeah. by any chance? I mean, I know I know your our junior your my senior year, your junior year, you were player of the year. So I would assume you were again. You know, the year after I graduated. Yeah. Duff, I have trouble remembering all of my accolades too. Oh, wait. No, I don't. I didn't have any. Okay. <laughs> Will went on to play basketball and baseball at a small school called Princeton University in New Jersey. I mean, hard to find a more iconic basketball program and I'm sure a great baseball program as well. His Princeton Hoops teams made it to the 2004 NCAA tournament. We'll talk about that. And also the, the 2002 NIT so he was recruited as a basketball player, didn't play baseball as a freshman, but then he hit the the diamond as a sophomore and stuck. Graduated from Princeton in 2005, was the second athlete in Ivy League history to be first team all Ivy League in both basketball and baseball. That what that's that's a pretty cool honor and interestingly, at least Wikipedia will says the other one who did that was your Padres teammate Chris Young. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a great honor, and he's my current boss now too, which is cool. So, we've, we've okay. Come so say nice things. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So in basketball, he averaged over ten a game from his sophomore to his senior year. Played over thirty minutes a game. Was just a key piece of a really good Princeton team. We're going to talk about his his experience at Princeton, playing for John Thompson the third, great coach. In baseball, had a real breakout season his junior year. He was drafted by the Orioles but opted to stay in school and finish out his senior year. And he was all league a senior year and was drafted by the Padres in the seventh round of the 2005 major league baseball draft. And then will enjoyed a really long, fantastic career as a player played for the Padres for seven years. He then played for the Rangers, Phillies and Dodgers. And since hanging him up as a player, he's been a coach. He was a, a special assistant to Theo Epstein for the Cubs for a year, he was a first base coach for the Cubs for a couple of years and a third base coach as well, moved to be a bench coach for the Sox. And then two years ago, he was hired by the Texas Rangers to be associate manager alongside Bruce Bochy, who all of our Marin County folks know and love as the former manager of the Giants. And then a little detail last year, Will got himself a World Series championship for the Rangers. So congrats, man. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's let's start with Santa Fe High. There are a lot of things we could talk about with you guys, but you know, in honor of our friend Dave Deneen, my friend Ryan Palmer, we got we got a bunch of bulldogs who love listening to this. So your Santa Fe teams, basketball teams were really good. 
your during your time together, I believe Jet Brett Tavani said you guys won sixty seven games. You won the MCAL and North Coast section in nineteen ninety nine. In ninety nine, you guys were the one seed going into the NorCal's, and you got upset by the sixteen seed. A real heartbreaker. Jet just uh, emailed me the IJ cover, which showed a picture of him looking very sad. That's a that's a, a huge bummer. But you guys had some unbelievable teams. You took a couple trips to Canada and Australia with Tavani in the offseason and won tournaments. The assistant coaches around that time were Brett, Mike Bravelli, Steve Woodward, and Jesse Haskins, all great guys and great coaches. So let's start with talking about playing for Brett. Jet, how would you characterize Tavani's coaching style and what did you like playing? What did you like about playing for him? It was the eight seed, not the 16 seed, straight from Tavani. So. Just wanted to make that correction. We have our first player control foul, Duff. Okay. <laughs> Playing for Brett was was great. You know, Brett Brett was really firm, but extremely fair. Very demanding, and in in in, in, a, in the best way possible. I think, you know, you had to give a hundred percent with Brett, and anything less, you were going to know about it. But you know, he had a very pragmatic and matter of fact approach. You know, you need to do this in order to execute this in order for this to happen. And I thought he did a really good job explaining that with everything that we did and why we were doing what we did. And then, you know, as everybody knows, just an extremely tough, defensive-minded coach. We did some good offensive stuff too, but I think our success really, you know, the foundation of our success, the pillars of our success were were created on the defensive end and defensive side of things and that toughness that he instilled in us. Awesome. Will, what, what do you got talking about Tavani? Yeah, no, that, that's really well said. And and I think probably, you know, my appreciation, my appreciation for what Brett did and, and his coaching style probably grew every stop I made after Brett and just realizing like how advanced he was in, in kind of his ability to create an identity for our, our, our team, you know, like, you know, I mean, Jet talked about the, the hard-nosed defensive stuff. I mean, that's who we were. I mean, everything be- between our drills and, and what he held us accountable to, to the whole, you know, junkyard dog mentality, like Brett was just a master at creating this identity that we all just bought into. And I mean, I can remember even some of those articles that you guys sent, just reading them and, and hearing quotes from myself and other people about like, you know, we, we, we worked harder than the other team, you know, and that's why we won. You know, we, we had more heart, you know, right. and that, that's what Brett did is he brought that out of us and kind of helped us create that identity. And, and also like, you know, I remember practices with Brett, like it was about the fundamentals, you know, and really dialing into those fundamentals, like Jet said, primarily defensively, but you know, that's stuff now that, you know, years later that I look back and, you know, creating identity and, and dialing in the fundamentals, like those are, those are the 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 bones of any great team, you know, and just kind of the components that any great team has and just a, have a great appreciation for Brent and kind of um, at that high school level, being able to show us that early on was pretty cool. Go ahead, Duff. Yeah, maybe first to to Jet, how did Coach Tavani, how did he hold you accountable, make you play hard? Is there sort of an example? And then maybe for, for Will, what made you in practice such a good defensive team? Was it shell drill? You know, what type, how did he get you so good on defense? Obviously, it's one thing to focus on it. It's another to actually instill it and have it become the essence of a team. With, with Brett, you had to earn it. And you knew when you earned it from him. You know, Brett was never 
like condescending or put anyone down. But there was an energy about Brett when you knew that you're his guy. He was gonna he trusted you. You knew it. And it was like, okay, that that flip has been that you know, that switch has been flipped and he's unlocked certain characteristics and potential from you. And you're now bought in and he's bought into you and that relationship is formed and you know, it's a great feeling to have that from Brett. Because with me, you know, I had to really work at it. It's kind of a confused kid coming into high school, but I knew I wanted to play ball. And, you know, getting linked up with his system and going through it, you know, from start to finish was great. But, you know, Brett just had a toughness about him. You know, there, there's a look that kind of Brett had that he'd give you if, you if you weren't doing what he asked or living up to his expectations in a certain drill that, you know, you knew it was there. There was the energy coming from like, you better move, yeah. you better, you better do this, or otherwise the whole team's going to be running, or, or something along those lines. But he he held everybody equally accountable, which is why he was such a great coach. Yeah, and and to piggyback on that, I mean, I remember drills. You know where I mean, and Brett was was a genius in how he did it. You know, Jet talked about accountability and expectation, just setting a really clear. Uh, expectation for what these drills are supposed to be like, you know, having somebody like Tommy Christensen do it and say like, this is what it looks like and anything less is going to be unacceptable. And when it does dip right. below that level of, of acceptance, like we're running. And I remember like there was once a year where he'd kick us out of practice because it, it you know, wasn't quite good enough or we all knew that it had to be better the next time, but he just never <laughs> accepted less than what he had set expectations for. And I think we just all had a really clear understanding of what that was, which uh, is not an easy thing to do, especially with high school kids. So again, uh, just amazing what he was able to do and, and, and command from a group of young kids. Yeah. Hey, we had some, we had some brutal practices, like, you know, the night after a game on a Friday night, four hours the next, next morning. And I mean, it was, it was really tough, but you know, he maximized our potential by pushing us so hard, pushing us to our breaking point, you know, five minute wall sits, sideline to sidelines, nine times, 17 to nine times in 30 seconds, 17 times in a minute. I always like doing them gym too, because it was a smaller court. Yeah. Uh, you know, defensive slide up and down the court till it was perfect. Yeah. You know, we, he had to deal with us once in a while. If we did this one drill where we slide and get up and sprint to help, we did it perfect. We only do it once, but you know, I always thought I was doing it perfect, but then if someone else wasn't doing it, we had to do it again. It's like, come on, guys, let's go. We, do we want to do this all? And we would do it for a long time sometimes. And sometimes yep. he just wanted to test us and push us to our breaking point. And, you know, it, it benefited us ultimately in the long run. So, how, uh, yeah, I was, well, Jed, I literally was just about to ask about Tavani's practices because they're legendary for being very, very challenging. And I, you know, I played for Hanuk. Those practices were tough as well, both in terms of fitness but also competition like Jonas was was always wanting us to compete in every drill and so i assume watching just watching Brett patrol the sidelines he's a competitive dude so talk about the the practices and and the competition level in your practices and drills this this one for me or for will either either one will go ahead yeah no i i think that just to your point about the competition and and the level of intensity you know like you knew when you were stepping into a practice that it was it was business, you know, that you were there to accomplish something. There was going to be a really high expectation. It was going to be intense. Again, you know, having guys like Tommy Christensen kind of set the tone in that regard and 
you knew that you knew that Tommy was was Brett's guy in that in 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 that way, and that you know everyone had to come up to that level. And Brett was just really good at kind of setting up uh, little competitions. I mean, whether it was in conditioning, uh, there was always a competitive aspect to it. Whether it was you know the, the defensive drills, whatever it might have been, it was it was a high level of intensity, and you were going to compete. And and there was going to be other guys in the building that were going to come after you too. And you you better be ready to to perform that day. And and uh, you know you realize looking back, like you know our, our practices were tougher than the games, you know, and, and that was by design. And you know I don't think we were ever right. not ready to play because of the way that we practiced. So Jet, you had mentioned when we were going back and forth that you guys would play pickup in gym two and at, at SR and Deneen, when we had Deneen on talking about the older, you know, couple, about 10 years prior to you guys, Tavani ball that he's like during breaks or, you know, after school play pickup and Brett would even play with them back in the late eighties, early nineties. So talk about playing pickup. Did you guys play pickup and how did that inform your, you know, your team's success? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think back of my playing days there, Gym two were some of the, the best moments I ever had in high school. I mean, that was like my saving grace, having that opportunity after school. It was every day. Every day when basketball season wasn't happening in the fall and the spring, go till five thirty, six o'clock at night. Just great games, great energy in the gym. There's always a lot of people there. The first game was always the 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 varsity players that were there that weren't playing football or a fall sport. And they play against the coaches and whatever whatever other adults would turn up. Mike Farragher would come in. Natu would come in. And you know, these are fully grown men playing against us. And it, it benefited us huge. I mean, these guys show no mercy. But, you know, they played the yeah. game hard. They played the game clean, but in the right way. And, you know, we just fed off that energy. The first game was always the best players in the gym against coaches. And it was always a great battle. And as a freshman, you know, watching that, I was like, okay, I want to get in that game. You see the varsity players with their team shoes and their their team mouth guards yeah. and things like this. I'm like, okay, you know, that's where I want to get to. And, you know, being a gym rat, the gym rat that I was, I would get sneak into that game sometimes as a as a freshman. And then by a sophomore year, I was in it regularly and just great battles. You know, Bravelli showed no mercy on us. Mike Bravelli was there too. Yeah. He was killer. Could shoot it. Chip on his shoulder. You know, he's playing to win every every possession, every defensive sequence. And he get after it, and that really kind of set the tone as well, you know, with us. So, you know, he- Will, Will, were you were you playing pickup? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can even remember in middle school, you know, coming by Open Gym and just like the prestige that Santa Fe Open Gym had, and then finally be able to to be in high school and go in there. And like Jet said, like it wasn't like you just walk into the gym and you're playing in that first game, you know, like you knew that was special, something that you had to work up to, and. Oh, you know, Brett did a great job, like bringing in those guys that you're talking about, like these grown men that are out there and, and, you know, not taking it easy on you, especially Bravelli. Like yeah. I, I know Bravelli just loved <laughs> just dominating the, the young guys out there, but, but it, it helped everybody, totally. you know, and uh, we had a lot of fun and, you know, I, I just, I have a lot of fond memories about open gym and just how special it was. And, you know, to the point when, you know, it was baseball season and, you know, time to go you know, work on stuff early with, with pops in the cage or whatever, you know, like I'm, I'm not making it like I'm stopping and I'm playing open gym. I'm getting some shots up, trying to yeah. get in the game. You know, it was just, it was just always special to, to be part of open gym. So will you were, as we've talked about, you were a star, right? You were all league. I mean, I will, 
I coached at Branson for a minute with with Jonas, and we played you guys, and I think it was the Drake tournament. And I scouted. I remember scouting you and Dustin and uh, Jet. I'm sure I scouted you too. I just don't remember it quite as well. That's okay if I wasn't uh, scouted. I'm taking personally. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you were on the first page of the scouting report. Neither, by the way, neither was I when I played. But, but Will, I remember. So you were you were a star. We're like, all right, we gotta we gotta contain Venable. So how did Brett handle coaching you as a star? Was he drawing up sets for you? Got to get Will touches, or would he kind of let the game come to you? I know this was this was. 25 years ago, but I'm just, just curious how he handled that. No, I think, you know, he was doing whatever he could to utilize the the guys that we had. I'm sure that there was times where there was design plays for me, but, you know, I took pride in like just being a team guy and, you know, I, probably to a fault, you know, like it wasn't, you know, I didn't need to have the ball in my hands to, you know, feel like I need to have the ball in my hands yeah. to have an impact on the game. And, you know, so yeah, there were, I would say more, more often than not though, like, especially my senior year, I remember like, you know, Brett setting stuff up where it was like Dustin and I, or Stevie and I, like in a little two man game, you know, just kind of like simple sets where we could, you know, just play the game a little bit, but it wasn't like, you know, isolations for me or anything like that. You know, I mean, we very much played a team game offensively and defensively. And, you know, I was, you know, I was certainly, certainly happy to, to be a part of that and and contribute any way I could. So, I have a Dan Dibley question. The sports talk legends Dan Dibley and guest on this podcast. And his question was to you guys, how good was your San Rafael team? And I think kind of implied in that is like, should you guys be in the conversation as one of the best ever in Marin? Like we've talked about, you know, the legendary Drake teams of the 80s. Branson had some amazing teams in the mid 2000s right after you guys that, you know, back to back state titles, Oliver McNally, those teams. How good were you guys? And then, why do you think you, not to bring up a bad memory, but why do you think you fell short in NorCal's in that year where you guys were the were the one seed? Judge Jet, you go first. Okay, sorry. You know, I, I think we should have gone farther, without a doubt. I mean, that game was soul crushing. We had three guys over six five. We had Dustin and Will. You know, awesome athletes, awesome scores. You know, Will, great around player. We had Tommy Christensen, best point guard in the league, best defensive player in the league. We had J.R. Henderson off the bench, the glove, you know, great defensive player, great energy guy. Uh, John Enos, hell, hell of a shooter off the bench. So, you know, that seven-man rotation with a few other guys getting in there once in a while, but that seven-man rotation was, 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 was great, I thought, and I think we really should have gone further. You know, we just didn't bring it that last game. There's a guy on the other team that, hit 93 three-pointers over the season <laughs> and you wow. know he he got us in the end so disappointing i i don't know i i, I don't know if we're gonna be in that conversation of one of the greatest marin teams ever because we didn't go as far as i think we should have but i think it's worth the mention it's, it's in the conversation of a, of a good team yeah a lot you know devoted guys that were brought in the brett system and we had a lot of fun doing it will what do you got yeah, you know, I mean, I can't speak of how we stack up, you know, beyond our era, but I know we were a great team, you know. I mean, regardless of how it ended that year, you know, like we were we were a team, you know, like I just I just remember we did it our way. You know, it was it wasn't quite good enough to go further in that in that state tournament, but you know, we had we had special guys and we knew what our roles were, you know, everyone was you know, pulling on the same rope, you know, in the same direction like 
you know, it's it, it, hard for me to say, you know, we're one of the greatest ever or, or, or not, but I know that we were a great team and, and certainly felt like that when we were playing other other groups. And uh, regardless of how it ended for us, I mean, we, we were we were special. You know, we knew who we were and we, we played together. Yeah. And I just I'll always think of, of, of those teams as as just great units. So I'll, we'll we'll move on from SR. Maybe I could talk for hours with you guys, but um, I will say so. Will played at Princeton. Dustin Brown, who you guys mentioned, played at Loyola Marymount, was a D one player, really, and then played I think pro ball, right? Yeah. You mentioned Stevie. That's Stevie Johnson, right? Who's a very well known in Marin now is one of the best skills trainers. Was a coach at Branson, assistant coach under Jonas for a couple of years, and then was a head coach at Branson. Fantastic guy and an amazing coach. So you guys had. You guys were stacked, tons of really good players and just, and not just talented athletes, but really good basketball players. And Will, we're going to get to this, but to play at Princeton, I mean, Princeton is the iconic, you know, fundamental play basketball the right way, coach's dream kind of place. And you played there and you excelled there. That shows that, you know, you learned the fundamentals, you played basketball the right way. So you guys had a, had a great team, but I want to talk about being multi-sport athletes because, you know, we've got two guys here who are really good at multiple sports. And we've we've talked a lot about this in our different episodes for a lot of kids are listening to this, high schoolers. And back in the day, maybe there was a, a bias towards, you know, focusing and specializing in one sport. You guys excelled at, at multiple sports. So, Will, your dad's a pro baseball player. You're obviously going to be biased to, to play baseball. Was your dad, you know, pushing you to play multiple sports? Like, how did you become such a good multi-sport athlete? Yeah, probably just because my parents just supported me in whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, my dad understood the dynamics of baseball and how challenging that can be, you know, certainly as a young person, but then, you know, as a professional as well. And uh, so I never got any pressure to, to play baseball specifically. It was always just about, you know, being an athlete and, and, and going out and having fun and, and doing what you wanted to do. So for me, that was that that was number one for me is just that I I had parents that were you know super supportive and and would also you know slept me around all, all over town and in different seasons to to go play these games and and to practice. So I really lucked out in yeah. that in that sense. And they were you know I, I don't think that I I could have excelled in in multiple sports had I not had my parents support me. But yeah, like at the at the same time, you know I did feel like I was missing out sometimes when you know, I needed to be at the baseball field and I wanted to be playing basketball or vice versa. And, you know, it, it is hard to be your best at, at, at a sport when you have other things, you know, taking your, taking your energy and your concentration too. So it was a good challenge, but you know, it, it's a lot of fun. And I also think like it really served me well, my love for basketball early on and, and kind of not playing as much baseball because I never got burnt out either way, you know, which I think yeah. is a, a huge thing. Do you think your basketball skills helped your baseball game or your baseball skills help your basketball? Like were there things that you picked up from each sport that helped you? Maybe it's mental approach, dealing with slumps, whatever it is. Like, was there some synergy there? Yeah, I would say just, just on like the first thing that comes to my head is just the athleticism, you know, like being out there on the basketball court and being able to run around and be an athlete and understand like how to move through space that was something that kind of separated me on the baseball field is that, you know, a lot of guys, you know, could, could put the ball in play, could go chase a ball down, but, you know, really being fast and, and athletic out there on the baseball field is kind of what, what set me apart and allowed me to, to continue to play beyond high school and college. So, 
yeah, I attribute that to to the things that I did on a basketball court. And certainly when it yeah. was time to switch over from basketball to baseball, like I always felt like I was in great shape and ready to go be an athlete on a baseball field. Jet, same question. Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer in multi-sport athletes. As you said, this, the, the game has changed a bit in the in the modern era of, of high school and collegiate sports. But for me, basketball set the tone for my baseball, my baseball career, so to speak. Yeah. But like just having, you know, Brett drive in the element of work ethic and having to put in the work to get good. For me, you know, I, I was athletic. I, I wasn't a, a star player, but I had to work at it, you know, to get good and be successful and earn my starting spot. And once I started to see results of, of putting in hours and hundreds of shots up in the gym, I was like, okay, I, I got this now. I, you know, I'm at where I kind of where I want to be. So that drive and that work ethic, ethic was instilled from from Tavani, and that really led to to me being able to continue on after high school and play baseball, which was my goal: play college nice. baseball. So, yeah, very cool. Hey, Duff, go ask your question. Sorry, I was on mute, Dave. Which question would you like me to ask? I want you to ask the home run question. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, has that ever come up around the, the dinner table, uh, Will, about you know career home runs between you and your, you and your dad? I, I looked it up. I think Max had 18 total, and uh, you were north of 80? Yeah. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Way to go, Duffy. He also got more service time than me. I mean, we don't, we don't like recount our, our stats or anything. <laughs> you know, I think probably like, you know, a long time ago when, you know, you're, you know, in the driveway competing, maybe around the basketball court and playing one on one and you beat your dad for the first time. You know, that, that those are the times that we remember. But, you know, he had, he had a great career, was able to play for, for a long time and longer than I was. So, I give yeah. him all the credit and, you know, we're not, we're not going back and, and counting, uh, counting homers now. Such a, <laughs> what, yeah. such a good diplomatic answer. <laughs> it's kind of the answer I expected from an associate head coach in major league baseball, but go and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, playing basketball with your dad. You know, it sounds like you did play, I presume he was a pretty good basketball player, definitely a, a great athlete, right? Yeah. Well, he, he was just a guy that likes, you know, being in great shape and, and playing and, you know, I know during his playing career, he would come back and to Marin and, and play at the Y. And and so then when it was, you know, my brother and I in, in the front yard, you know, playing, he was out there with us and, you know, just just having fun, you know. So, you know, there was a couple of times we got got him out there to to open gym and stuff and, you know, out at the Y, you know, running up and down. But, you know, talk about a, a great multi-sport athlete. I mean, that dude was a freak. I mean, he was a, a freak running back, freak linebacker, and obviously a great baseball player. So, you know, he, he got a little basketball game in there too, although he didn't he didn't get the height. So, you know, but but no, he's a he was a great athlete. And, you know, you know, another reason why I was, you know, pushed athletically, it just, you know, he, he set such a high standard for my brother and I. I hey, I I failed to Shame on me, but I failed to mention in the intro. Yeah, Will's brother Winston played. What was it? Boise State. Will he played Boise. If a football player, at Boise State, I think, and then and the NFL, right? Yeah. So you got yeah. the Venable family, decent athletes. You've got a couple of major league, pro 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 leagues represented. Hey, I want I want to talk about recruiting. Will, how did you uh, end up at Princeton, and what what other schools were you looking at? 
Yeah, you know, I was pretty far down the road with Santa Clara and really liked their basketball coach, really liked what they they had going on. They had a new gym they were building. They were going to let me play both yeah. sports and took a visit there, really, really liked it. And, you know, kind of late in the recruiting game, <clears throat> Princeton called. I think I I played in a tournament uh, where one of their assistant coaches knew the coach I played against, and that coach called the assistant coach over at Princeton and said, hey, come check this kid out. I mean, that's really where it started, you know, and Coach Thompson came out, saw me play once, and then they offered me a trip to come out and, and check them out on, on a little recruiting visit. So, yeah, I was I was kind of like had my mindset on Santa Clara. And then, you know, later later in the in the process, Princeton came and took that visit. And then I remember coming home and, and my mom just saying, hey, you know, that that degree, you know, like you should really consider this. And it's a long ways away from home. But but, you know, you don't get those opportunities often to, to, to go to Ivy League school. So, yeah, mom sold me on it. And I also was really into the uh, the idea of going to the tournament, uh, which they had done in the couple of years that we were in high yep. school. So, yeah, really exciting. And, yeah, l- lucky to, to have played in that tournament or wherever it was that that, that that coach saw me. Awesome. So, Jet, you you opted to go college in Marin, which seemed to be a great path for you. So discuss your thought process there and, and how you landed there. Well, it was my only option. <laughs> I, I just I just walked out to comp, so I'm going to go play baseball. I wasn't recruited. I had a good baseball campaign at Centerfell, but nothing that's going to draw, you know, a bunch of D1 or, you know, even good D2 scouts to come out and, and see me. But, you know, like I said earlier in, in the in the recording here, I wanted to play college baseball. That was my ultimate yeah. goal. And college we're in was a good fit for me. But, you know, even when I went out there, it was definitely a significant step up. There's a lot of good baseball players out there, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of kids trying to make it. And we all had something in common. We all, you know, weren't necessarily highly recruited. We're all chasing the dream. And I had to earn it at College of Rent. You know, Behringer was a tough coach. And he built a heck of a program there over the years. I had him as his first, his first full-time year as a head coach there. So, you know, he, he had high expectations from the start. But, you know, I put in hours in the cage. Probably too many. Probably overdid it, to be honest, looking back. But spent my time there and grew as a individual and a baseball player. And, you know, ultimately Steve did a great job finding me some opportunities in Iowa. Great. Uh, he got me looks at three schools in Iowa, went out and saw them all, went on a tour out there and they all made me offers, which was super satisfying. You know, it, it worked for me. I, you know, I wish I could have gone higher up to a, you know, the goal is always D1, but Ultimately, I went with Mount Mercy, who was the, the winningest program in the state at the time. And that's why I went with them and went out there and had a heck of a time playing. We played NAIA, you can play 75 games in a season. They've actually since cut it back, but okay. a lot of fun, different part of the world and just, you know, let it all out in the field, playing baseball out there. Beautiful. So I want to jump to, Will, I want to come back to you and I want to nerd out on basketball. So get ready, put your basketball nerd hat on, Will. You played for, played for Princeton, man. How many coaches try to run the Princeton offense? I think every single one of them is the answer. So John Thompson, the third son of the legend, John Thompson at Georgetown and JT three was incredible player, played at Princeton himself, right? And great coach. So first of all, for our listeners who don't understand the Princeton offense or don't know what it is, explain the Princeton offense and then discuss being a part of it. 
Yeah, it's yeah probably impossible to really explain in this setting. But you know, if yeah. you could just imagine, you know, twenty different plays that all can connect somehow in some way that that involve a lot of like the most basic thing that we did was like dribble drive, right? Where I'm dribbling straight at your defender. You get to make a decision whether to go back door or come come step back and, and hand the ball off. And then we continue into yep. something else. And that's, you know, way more simple than it than it was. But it was those types of actions, you know, where we're dribbling at each other's defenders, we're cutting back door, we're snapping it across and and, and getting into something else. And so there's a ton of movement. And really it was four four guys around a center so if you were you say a guard or a forward but you're really just not the center so yeah it was just a ton of a ton of action a ton of movement and sharing the ball and ultimately like ultimately like the goal is to either get a wide open layup or a wide open three and so you'd have to go through a couple sets to get there so it was it was very very complicated but once you got it and once you understood hey like I want to start, you know, play A to eventually get to a shot and play D like you could you could you could manipulate it, you know, and you could really use the offense to your advantage. And when we had enough guys that really understood it, like it was a lot of fun, Um, but just getting there was challenging. So anyway, I, you know, hard, hard to explain. Yeah, I mean, it's an offense. So but and and it's changed, right? Like every coach that's been there has their own version of it. No, Uh, ours was was more traditional. Sure. Princeton offense that you know Kirill ran uh where now like I watch a Princeton game and like they're not doing anything that we we did at all so Will mentioned Pete Kirill and by the way well that was a fantastic explanation so but Pete Kirill was there for for many years and he's a, a total legend and then and you mentioned he had moved on to the pros I think by the time you you were at Princeton but he has one of my favorite quotes someone asked him after a game, like, you know, how do you, how do you guys win so much? You know, you look at Princeton's teams are not as athletic typically as, as some of the, and they're beating teams that are much bigger, faster, stronger. And he said, we make shots was his answer. So pretty simple answer. I'm curious, did you guys do a lot of skill work and shooting in practices or was that more focused on the off season and in practice, you guys are running your, your motion sets and all that stuff. I know this was a long time ago, but just curious. No, 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 no. Very much driven by fundamentals. You know, I mean, we would start practice with, you know, like a star passing drill, just doing chest passes where, I mean, if, if we're not doing it the right way, like we're running, like we're like very detailed and intentional. And like, that's what we started with every day. I mean, we spent a really good amount of time on just fundamental stuff, whether it was passing, dribbling, shooting, and then you know, like obviously spending a lot of time, you know, on our, on our offense and, and and different types types of defenses too. But but yeah, I would say the bulk of what we did was was um, just very like fine fundamental work. So compare and contrast a John Thompson the third practice with a Brett Tavani practice. Like what? So coming into Princeton, did you feel like all right, this is fine because you've already endured the Tavani? practices or was it a big change for you no not a big change at all I mean I felt like I was really well prepared Brett never yelled at me but coach Thompson did 
So that was a new thing for me. But then you realize like if, you know, at college, if your coach isn't yelling at you, he probably doesn't care about you. And, and, and I, you know, I exactly. learned how to, to deal with it pretty quickly and it, and it was all good. He was just trying to get the, the, the most out of me, but they were very similar, you know, you know, a lot of energy. Uh, they commanded a ton of respect. They set really high expectations, really clear expectations and held guys accountable to them. And then just going back to just kind of like the focus on fundamentals, you know, like that was that was what we did in, in high school. And that's what we did in college, too. So I felt like I was really well prepared for that transition and credit Brett for, for that because I I mean, they were the, the, the practices were the same. They were the same. Yeah. Gotcha. Duff, you have anything for for Will on Princeton, or we'll move on. Tell me, question about how your game might have evolved. Like, how did in high school, how did you score baskets, and was it similar or different at Princeton? And you know, how much did your your own sort of skill set evolve playing in a very structured offense at Princeton? And do you feel like you know, in a different type of offense, you might have evolved in a different way? Yeah, that that was a big adjustment for me. Early on in high school, I realized like that I had a knack for getting by a defender uh, with the ball in my hand, which was just not something that we did in at Princeton. You know, it was it was cutting to an open lane and, and getting a layup or having to shoot the ball from the outside, which is just not something that I did a lot in in, in high school. I was dishing it off to Jet so he could he could shoot. I was just getting layups like that was my that was my my jam. You know, like getting to the to the bucket. And so that's just not something we did at, at Princeton. And so I had to figure out how to shoot a little bit, which I never really did. And then like, you know, how to use the the Princeton offense to my advantage and, and find plays where where I could, you know, get to the basket uh, without the ball, uh, which was a which was a challenge also. So, yeah, my, my game definitely had to to evolve and, and, and adjust as I, I made that transition to college. Very cool. All right. It's a question for both of you. Jet, your favorite drill that you did with with Tavani? At the time, <clears throat> this definitely wasn't my favorite drill because it was a real butt kicker. But looking back on it, the knockdown drill was a drill that it instilled an incredible amount of toughness in our team. Explain uh, that. So you, you'd have Mike Ravelli at the top of the key, and you would have to deny the wing guard who can go from the low block to the wing spot. Mm-hmm. And you have to get three knockdowns with the back of your hand. So you're in denial position and Mike would throw BBs. I mean, fire in the ball. And it was nearly impossible to get a knockdown, especially depending on who you're guarding. So if you're guarding a more athletic person than you or a quicker person than you, which is a few folks on the team, you really had to work for it. So you got to get three knockdowns and you'd stay there for a long time. I remember going through that drill for a long time one day and it, it really, made me mad. Uh, I was dropping F bombs and Tavani let me do it. He let me swear, swear my way out of it. But <laughs> you know, you got to get three knockdowns. And after that, you got to lay out going back door, dive, knock down a ball. Then you got to go and get up from that diving spot. The offensive player runs the opposite corner and runs into you. You got to take a charge. After you take a charge, then you got to play one-on-one with that same player at the top of the key and get a stop. And you don't, the drill isn't over until you get a stop. So you're exhausted by this point. That was a great drill. And then we'd also do one more where you got to do, you got to defend five guys on the perimeter. So you throw the ball out, close out to the guy in the wing. You got to get a stop. They got three dribbles. Once you get the rebound, you throw the ball to the to the next spot. You got to get a stop. They get three dribbles. So that was a great yeah. 
do great defensive drills that instilled toughness. And then, you know, anytime we played anything one-on-one was, was always super fun. So, man, I'm, I'm tired listening to that. Yeah. Meltdown drill was legendary for sure. Yeah. Will favorite, favorite drill, either, either from Thompson or, or Brett. Oop. Yep. We lost, we might have lost Will. Maybe he doesn't believe in drills. <laughs> not a, he's not a drill guy, Dave. So Jet, you're well, well we we'll, we'll try to get Will back, but yeah, sure. You're AD at at Archie. So how do you feel about the state of high school athletics today? I think they're in a really good place. You know, I, I think looking back from when I played to, to to how things are now, there's there's a lot of skilled athletes out there. Yeah, they have a lot of great resources to to be so skilled. There's skills trainers, there's athletic trainers. We never had trainers. So these kids, if they're banged up, yeah, they can go and get treatment. And I was sitting on the sideline with a heating pad before a game when I had a dead leg or something. And I never had anyone to work on it or anything like that. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it, Jet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know, I think they're in a great place. Great facilities. The MCAL is a heck of a league. All the schools are bought in to their athletics programs. And you can see that reflected in the in the great and awesome facilities that we have. But yeah, just yeah. the resources that all the kids have these days is awesome. So I think they're in, it's in a really great place. Awesome. Duffy. I'm looking forward to the nutrition lecture tomorrow night. Correct. Yeah. So they yes. bring in, you know, speakers to talk to the kids about, you know, how to, how to maximize the nutrition and they'll feed them pizza beforehand just to kind of emphasize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Duffy, are they going to, are they go ahead, Jeff. No, high calorie energy, energy dense food. They're, they're going to need yeah, it. What, yeah. You know, it's what we can afford to give the kids. They're going to be hungry as heck coming from practice. Yeah. yeah. It I was, is we're giving them pizza before nutrition talk. I was going to say the nutrition lecture is going to recommend that they go to the hub. There you go. Yeah. All right. Will, you're back. What's your, what's your favorite drill from either Princeton or SR? Yeah. Well, the knockdown drill, great drill, great call jet. You know what? As, as, Simple as it might be, and Jet mentioned it earlier, just like running nines or 17s from sideline to sideline. Like, I just thought that that was always a a great, like, kind of like gut check time for yourself, but also, like, you know, like I, as a leader of, of, of the group, you know, like getting, you know, the, the last guy on the team to cross the finish line in time. And, and you know what I mean? I just thought we all like learned so much and, and grew going through those drills together. Those are, those are like some of the, the times that I remember the most just being out and, and grinding and making sure that, you know, number one that I'm getting across the line in time, but like, you know, just what it meant for our whole group to push each other to, to finish it. Yeah. Just great, great drill for me. We love it. Your cues leading up to that to the nine. So we have to make a certain amount of buckets with the Syracuse drill in a certain amount of right. time. And every, every amount, every bucket we were short was a nine or a 17, but you had to make the nine in 30 seconds. There was no wiggle room. Like same thing with 17 in a minute. There, there was no what, hey, hey, Jet, what, all right, what's Syracuse? Let's see if I can explain it. Well, you remember Syracuse, right? Yeah. The full court drill. Yeah. Full court drill. There's, there's a guy at each elbow on each end of the court. You start out of bounds. Yep. Throw the ball to the, the guy in the elbow on your side, get it back, make a full court pass to the next elbow. He gives it back yep. for, for layup. And then the next guy gets it out of the hoop. Don't let the ball touch yep. the ground. And you go back and do the same thing. Okay. Again. Yep. I know, I know that. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's a good one. So you got a, you got a time constraint. You got to make a certain number. And if you don't, then you're lining up on the sideline and you're running a, yeah. a 17. Super fun, girl. Super fun. Yeah. 
No, that's that's awesome. So I I'm mindful of time here, but I, I, there are a few things I want to I want to touch on. I'm interested in the kind of the differences in coaching and motivation with baseball and basketball. And you know, you both played both sports at a high level. I mean, Will, you're you're at the highest level in baseball. You're a coach now, so discuss the the different coaching style in basketball versus baseball. I mean, my, my perspective as a layman is like basketball, it's indoors, it's tight, it's loud, it's chaotic. The coach is right on you. In baseball, you're on this beautiful field. There's more space. So it just feels like it's less immediately on you, right? So how do, how do you deal with that? C- kind of discuss the coaching style differences in baseball and basketball. Yo, I'm curious, Jets perspective too on on his experience after high school because i i was very much a part of a program at princeton where it was a a kind of a pro style and uh, scott bradley our coach there who's still a coach coach there now had played in the big leagues for a long time and ran the program very much like a, a professional team and and coached like like we would with the pro guys which is just like similar in that we're setting high expectations and you know very clear with what those are and holding guys accountable but you know your approach to holding guys accountable on a baseball field might be you know a private conversation where you're not yelling and it's not intense it's not heat of the moment like what are you doing where those kind of moments of accountability on a basketball court are very public very loud Right. It's sometimes aggressive and, you know, you're getting kicked out of the gym. We're not we're not kicking kids off the, the baseball field because okay. someone didn't run hard, but we are having a tough conversation about it. So I think just communication styles are a lot different on the sports, at least in my, in my experience. And, you know, Jed, I don't know if you, you had a different experience when you played in college, but that, that was that was my experience. Yeah, I mean, I two two different I had two different college baseball coaches. Steve was a very strategic and and manufacture runs kind of coach and got pretty scientific with things. You know, I had him earlier on in his career so I can only imagine how much further he come with all that stuff, but very detailed practices. But you know, he let you know if you weren't living up to his expectations, for sure. Like he he let you know about it and he had extremely high expectations for everybody and ran a tight ship. The guy my guy in Iowa, Justin Schultze, much more loose, lets you swing at any any count. You know, he gave you the green light 3-0, let you steal base whenever you wanted to. You didn't even have to get a sign. I love that. He just lets you play free. But he, you know, he called he called me every name under the sun a few times. And you know, <laughs> but like Will said earlier, you know, it was a great point you made. If if he wasn't yelling at you, he didn't care about you. So, you know, he he was awesome. And I it, hey, call me off guard. Call me off guard some of the things he called me, but I responded. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's Iowa, man. Different in Iowa. Green. I want to, Duff, I know you have a question. I just want to point out to the younger kids out there listening to this. If a coach is getting on you, that means the coach cares, right? If you're, if you're making a mistake and the coach doesn't even say anything, that's, that's not as optimal, I think. And, and I had a, I played for coaches who got on me and I would be bummed and felt like he was targeting me or whatever. But it's like, you know what? If he wasn't getting on me, then he doesn't, he doesn't care. Right. So anyway, Duff, go ahead. And Dave, that's ex- exactly why occasionally in these interviews, I tell you to focus because I care about you and I want you it's to move cares. on. <laughs> and right. We probably should move on to crunch time, Dave, but I do want yes. to ask Will this question about Bruce Bochy, and that is if he were coaching a high school basketball team, what would that look <laughs> like? What would his approach be? Ooh, that's a you good know, question. Probably similar to, to Brett, you know, 
Boach is very, very mellow guy. You know what I mean? Like, and he's a, he's an elite communicator. He's a very caring, mellow guy, but in game, it's intense. You know, he is, he is locked in. He's, he's obviously, you know, nothing gets by him, but, but there's some, you know, like his passion for, for doing things the right way and playing the game, right. Like comes out more during, during games than it, than it does outside the game, which I've been around managers where it's the total opposite, you know? So yeah, I could see him in a Tavani type role where it's, yeah, it's intense. There's some, yeah, some language and, and, you know, intensity and holding guys accountable for sure. Would he do that? You think in front of the team or would he do it more like you're saying baseball style, like pulling a guy aside because he does, you know, like, I don't know him at all, but just, it just seems like he's an amazing communicator, as you say. And that's part of the reason he's so successful. Yeah, I think I think like to your point, I mean, he he can figure out whatever the group needs, you know, whatever that player needs. Like he can be whatever the the moment needs to get to the right ending, you know. He's just so uh, adaptable and so bright and just so in tune with everything. Yeah, I mean, he could you know, wh- whatever that player needed, I'm sure that he's going to get get that kid that uh, no matter what the sport, no matter what the situation, he just He's, he's just one of those elite leaders that gets the best out of the people around him. Yeah. Cool. Good question, Duffy. Okay. Will, I know you gotta, you gotta run. Let's get to crunch time. So this is the end of the end of the interview where we ask you a few rapid fire questions that I end up droning on and on about. So, and then Duffy will get mad at me. Here we go. Jet, toughest basketball player you ever played against in Marin? Brian DeFares, point guard at TAM. It's like Jason Kidd out there. Guy was unreal. Good answer. Heard heard of him. Will, same question. Wow. Great answer, by the way, Jet. That DeForest was one of them. I'm throwing out the name Travis LeBoy, who wasn't on the basketball court a lot. Yeah. But was like the I mean, talk about like the dude that definitely is a better multi-sport athlete than me. Football player. Football player, yeah. right? But he would get on a basketball court, and that was the first time in Marin that I was like, man, like athletically, like I'm not even close to this dude. Yeah. I can remember a couple of times going up for a layup and him coming out of nowhere and, you know, taking my stuff, you know, like five rows deep. So that, that for me, he like sticks out as, as just like one for me, like probably the greatest multi-sport athlete that I can think of out, out of Marin, but, but also like the toughest athlete to play against on the basketball court. Where, That's where did he go to high school? Will? He was a Marine Catholic. MC. Okay. Yeah. All right. How about so this this one probably more for Will because you played college ball, toughest basketball player you ever played against. You know, in in the tournament my junior year, we played against Texas and Royal Ivy. Oh, I yeah. don't know what kind of what kind of NBA career he yeah, he had. Not not a great one, but I know he made it to the NBA. But yeah, in the second half, he just dominated me to a level that I've never been dominated before. Where he was just jumping higher than me, doing everything better than me. And yeah, that was kind of like the toughest matchup that I can remember having in college. Well, can, hey, I, can, I, throw, can I throw in one? How about JJ Reddick, Will? Was he a baller? You played against him, right? He was good, but like great shooter, but athletically not like, yeah. 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 He, he was a great player though. Yeah. Really good podcaster, by the way. Great. More, great post-playing career, for sure. Duffy, he has more downloads than we do. I hate to, I hate to admit it. Will, for how tall are you, Will? 
six two, six three. I say six three with my shoes on, so okay, I always cool. wanted to be six three. I'm I'm saying I got there. All right. Jet, favorite gym in Marin? Doghouse, Centerfell. The the orange, the orange hue lights of Centerfell High, main gym. But second second runner close runner up is gym two. By you know, and then honorable mention to MC. Okay. Will, same yeah, man, going, same question. I'm going MC. There was just something like going in there and like want to beat those guys so bad. And it was yeah. a nice gym too. But yeah, that that was like, yeah, I want to come in here and have a good game and like crush these dudes. Yeah. Okay. Floor, soft rims. Yeah. Soft good. rims. We get that. We've heard that. That's a common answer. I'd say we're like 25 episodes in. I think the most common answer is MC with a close second is, is Drake. Okay. Favorite, uh, Will, favorite gym you played in anywhere in the world? The Palestra was amazing. That was probably like one of the, the one of the best spots. Cameron Indoor was amazing too. Like, yeah, I met my wife there, so I probably have to say that's number one. Uh, Smart answer. I didn't, uh, but that, that, that was also like equally like cool atmosphere. So those two get my vote for sure. Beautiful. Jet, game winning three or game winning base hit? Base hit with a wooden bat for sure. Opposite field. Yeah. Novato Nick style. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. Will, same question. Yeah, I'll go. I'm going base hit for sure. Okay. All right. Dream team. You guys are, we're, we're playing pickup in gym two. You can roll out there with four, four people. Will, who's, who's your on your squad? Well, I mean, I, I, hard for me to just pick four guys, you know, like I I grew up playing with Gene Barnes, Stevie Johnson, Joe Lazzaretti, Jimmy Hart, Chad Daggett, Dustin Brown. I mean, like these are the guys like since second grade, we've been playing together and playing pickup together. Like, and even after high school, you know, and throwing Jet in there too, like, because no no one else on in that group can shoot like jetters can, so we throw jet in there too. But yeah, like it's just the the guys, man. Those are those are my guys, my basketball guys from from when we were just little guys out there in like second and third grade. So they, they they're all on my list. Awesome, Jet. Same question. All right, I thought this one through. This is my favorite okay. question you guys have asked. I got Bravelli at the one. I've got Will at the three. I got Lee Cretion at the four. Ooh, and. Tough call on the, on the five, but I, I went with D Brown at the five because he's just a bucket getter and a rebound getter. But off the bench, I've got Natu and Tommy Christensen. I got I got a few more guys. I'm, I'm whoa. I've Keep got going. my one center fell guys. Got Bobby Donlin, Stevie Johnson because Stevie came after I graduated. Yes, yeah. Jackson from Redwood, Redwood, yep. and Bucky Bucky Chavez. Yeah. Thank Show goodness go. we have a Bucky reference. Show and go. Rocking up in sweats, just balling out in adult league. Sanderfell adult league, Bucky, just balling out. Yeah, I played with him there. It was uh, yeah. he's amazing. Yeah, Duffy, what other crunch time questions do you have for our esteemed guests? Well, Will mentioned the Marin YMCA pickup ball, so I want Will's best ever Marin Y player that he's played against at the Marin Y because that was my favorite game for a long time. Oh man, I don't. I don't know, but I will say this to someone who I've been in contact with recently is Bobby Aldridge, who I know yeah. is a big Y guy and a, and a great player and still doing great things in the, in the fitness world. So I'll, I'll give Bobby Aldridge a vote on that. I see a, 
I see Chet all the time at the gym. He's such a such a good guy. The Aldridges are great people. Well, we could talk to you guys forever. This was this was so fun. Thank you so much for your time. I'm glad that we're giving San Rafael some love on the pod. We've we've had some. You're not our first San Rafael guests. We had Deneen and a few others. Michelle Bravelli was a esteemed guest as well. But Jet, thank you for all that you do for Marin Sports. You're in a, you're a fantastic AD for a, a great institution at Archie Williams. Thank you for keeping Duffy in line. And Will, Will, it's an honor to to chat with you. Thanks so much for for taking the time. Good luck with spring training. Enjoy getting fitted for that World Series ring, and uh, we'll be rooting for you. Yeah, thank you guys. This is a lot of fun, and yeah, man, you talking about all this stuff, you just forget like how special San Rafael and Marin Sports is, and yeah, I I appreciate you guys having me on and thinking of me, and 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 always great to see Jet, and yeah, just thank you so much. Hey, Dave, great stuff. Thank you, Jet and Will. Let's get your hot take on it. Dave, actually not so hot because we're recording this a week or so afterwards, but your delay yes, my, somewhat lukewarm take on it. My lukewarm day leftovers take. I thought really fun to talk to these guys. A couple things that I pointed out or, or jumped out to me. Just the discussion of Tavani I thought was really fun. And actually, Duff, you and I are going to sit down with Coach Tavani here in the next couple of weeks, which will be great because he coached for. 50 plus years, but just their discussion of how he built culture at San Rafael High and right down to, you know, after school pickup games in gym two and what a big deal that was for those guys. We've spent so much time on this podcast talking about the importance of playing pickup and for our generation, how that really informed our love of basketball. And I'm not surprised that at San Rafael High, watching those teams play those years, that those guys were playing pickup a lot. And Brett, had a big We're part of that. And, and Dave Deneen talked about, you know, Tavani ball, Brett was playing with him, but just, I, I can't, I think it was jet talking about how, you know, the, the, the varsity team always got first game, right? The best players were in the first game. Yep. And he said, you know, you walk in and they've got their team, their varsity team shirts and their team mouth guards. And as a young, as an underclassman, that's what you aspire to, right? You want to get in that first game. You want to have the, the team mouth guard and the team shirt and, what a cool tradition. And then, and then Will it's talked about, there. yeah. Whatever happened to the mouth guard, not let alone the team mouth guard. You don't see kids wearing mouth guards really at all. So Steph, obviously it's a, it's a massive part of his apparel, right? Every play it's, it's, it's out of his mouth and back in. I, you would expect to see more, more people with the mouth guard. It's true. You wear one when you play. I do. And you know why Dave? Because I've had a dental implant. And you know what? Dental implants are not fully covered by insurance. In fact, they're like barely covered by insurance. And you know how I got a dental implant? Plane pickup. Plane pickup, yeah. Actually, plane pickup was the first crack. And the second crack was in a San Rafael League game. And two cracks and then you're on to an implant. Anyway, I have tried to get my kids to wear a mouth guard. I've tried to get Holden to wear a mouth guard. I don't know what yes. it is. I know it's uncomfortable, but once you adapt to it, it just provides so much protection. And I actually think it provides some protection against concussion too, because you have something to absorb a blow if it's a blow to the face or the jaw. Anyway, I know well, we're, we're getting off topic here, but since you mentioned it, Dave, kids should be wearing mouth guards. They really should. Good, 
good public service announcement. I also like it because remember, I mean, I think that the mouth guard was the single reason that Jordan Poole was traded because Steph threw his mouth guard. <laughs> when Jordan Poole did not pass Steph the ball, he was open. Thank you, mouth guard, yeah. And that changed the whole course of NBA history. Okay. No, what? So I what, like it wasn't Draymond that hit Jordan. It was the mouth guard. It was the mouth guard. It was a flying mouth guard. So what Will talked about, kind of the same idea of building culture and the impact that Devani had, but he talked about the JYD, the junkyard dog mentality, which is very fitting descriptor of how Sanderfell played back in those days. Just tough, tenacious. They're going to outwork you. They're they're never going to give up. They're going to be in your craw. They're picking you up full court. And And Will talked about building an identity and that everybody was bought in. And he kept saying, you know, we knew who we were. And he's right. You know, those teams were were really cohesive units, very tough to beat because they were all bought in and all on they, the same page. And that was Tavani. They'd all gone through the knockdown drills. Like I hadn't heard that before. I mean, heard of, you know, some gauntlet we do like, you know, a hustle gauntlet drill every once in a while. But this one sounds like totally off the charts tough in terms of if you got a guy like Mike Ravelli you know, making a pass to the wing and you have to try and knock that down three times. And then you're trying to knock down a backdoor pass and then you're taking a charge and then you're going one-on-one and like you have to keep going until you get a stop and you're exhausted because of what you just did, you know, in the early parts of the drill. So yeah, that, that will, you know, I'm sure some people quit. Some of the guys, you know, quit from that drill alone. I can guarantee that. So hard and so much worse than sprints. I mean, sprints suck. Obviously, we all hate sprints. We've all done them. We all have to do them. Being in condition is a very important part of basketball. But but those defensive drills, when you're just dead, your legs feel like jello, and you've got to suck it up and get this stop in that to get out of the drill. And man, what a great preparation for when you're in a game and it's the fourth quarter and it's a playoff game and it's NCS and you're exhausted. You know that you can tap into that something that you have inside you that helped you get through that drill that's going to help you get that stop in that fourth quarter of that game. Yeah. Yeah. So true. All right, Dave, JJ Reddick. He has a podcast. We have a podcast. He came up in this podcast. He hasn't invited us on yet, but maybe he will. I want to defend him at least based on what I've read about him and what Mm -hmm. I saw in his career. I think he is an exceptional athlete with a very good vertical leap but one thing that i believe to be true because i read it in a book by an author who's well respected and i think probably had good editors is that reddick is one of the few players in the nba in recent memory to have a wingspan that was not longer by ratio than his height so you know the prototypical nba player mm. Dave, is not only tall but they have long arms. And so when you you know hear seven foot wingspan, that's as if the guy is six foot seven, but they have the wingspan of seven footer. And that is much more likely to be the case in the NBA than in anywhere else in existence, because that just allows you to get those arms in the lane and get the rebounds and you know dribble lower to the ground, all this you know stuff that adapts well to basketball. So at a certain time, Dave, in the NBA. This is from a book written by David Epstein called The Sports Gene. Great book. Mm-hmm. The only two players in the league for a season who did not have a wingspan that was average or above average compared to their height were J.J. Redick and Glenn Davis, big baby from LSU. And you, we do remember mm-hmm. him, Dave, with these arms like this. 
he was a big dude. He was strong. Well, you know, you're right. JJ, really good athlete, could leap. Obviously, phenomenal shooter. Kind of made his living in the NBA being a three point shooter. But look, the bottom line is, we asked Will who were the toughest guys you had to guard. He mentioned Jaden Ivey. Jet threw out JJ Redick, and Will said, "Eh, you know, he was fine." So I guess Will didn't have any problems with with JJ. Yeah, I just want to make sure that you know JJ when he when he listens to our podcasts, you know that he knows that we're we are kind of looking out for him, putting in a good word here and there, even if Will Venable did shut him down. JJ, let's do a, a joint a joint pod. We'll give you all of our thirty nine listeners. Just kidding. We have way more than and days. and a and a nice big mug of iced coffee, maybe a hub gift certificate. Yes. Anything else stuff on uh, on Will and Jet that you wanted to point out? I'm gonna say no. I think we'd like to have him back on at some point, so we can just leave it open. There's yeah. There's- it was a it w- it was a great discussion about you know I like I liked the the multi sport aspect of that discussion right two guys who who really thrived playing two sports and benefited by being multi-sport athletes carrie husbands and her husband julian talked about their big proponents of being multi-sport athletes so i think jed and will are great examples of of success stories in that front so yeah and really Kevin, fun to talk to Kevin and jake fast guest too yeah it's, it's a totally. thing with, yeah over and over again but Dave, you and I are going to continue to talk about basketball. We're not going to start a baseball podcast. We're we're not going to go to. We're not going to start talking cornhole. Although we might play cornhole and talk basketball, we're going to stay true to our essence: basketball, pickleball. Duff, should we have start a pickleball podcast? The pickle pod? Definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, but there would be some good alliteration possibilities. Pickle pod possibilities. Lot. Well, I'll let you, you're our marketing guy. I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> well, thanks to Jet and Will. Really enjoyed it. We have more great interviews coming up. So keep listening. And this is fun. Love doing this with you, Duff. Yeah, I agree. Love it so much, Dave. And I love this sign off, which is, this has been the Run TMC podcast. That is the Run the Marin County, the Marin County podcast, a podcast about basketball in Marin County. And thank you to Luke Esterkin, Stroke Nine. Let's take it away. Hit it, Luke. Burke's on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. <laughs>